This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Now, that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to a two-year low. There are, of course, complex He was the big spender. The big spender. Doing the grocery shopping can take a huge chunk out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello, welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name is Adam and I'm joined as always by my older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Thomas, how are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks, Adam. How are you doing? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Happy New Year. Oh, and to you. Oh, thanks very much. <laughs> I, was, I meant to ring you at Christmas and I didn't. So Yeah, I, I was busy too, had a, had a big one. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good chat. Hey, look, we're almost at the end, Thomas, of the introductory series, uh, which is exciting. So... Um, Big thanks for joining us so far. If this is your first time tuning in, then make sure you go back and check out the first seven episodes of the series. We're going to leave them there as a bit of a, uh, you know, hopefully something that people can come back to as we press on and discuss more about news and current events and the world of economics. Some something you can come back to to get a handle uh, on some some of the fundamentals around economics. But before we get started on this week's episode. We have had a couple of emails, which we really appreciate. Um, people have sent us some email to uh, cve at equitymates.com. Uh, you can also find us on the website at equitymates.com forward slash CVE. We would love to hear from you if you have got questions. Uh, a couple of emails I wanted to, to mention, Thomas. Mm-hmm. The first one is from a guy called Sean. Uh, shout outs to you, Sean. I'm already a big fan of Sean because he's calling you out, which I love. Uh you said that you couldn't negatively gear shares, but he reckons maybe you can. True or not true? Uh, no, true. Sean's on the money with that one. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I was talking about it's not, not as common as negatively gearing an investment property, but it is true that you can borrow to um, invest in shares and your interest payments uh you can yeah offset that against if you're making a loss if you if you earn less in dividends and you pay an interest then you can claim it as a tax deduction so Sean's on the money with that uh, just right. probably a good reminder not to take your tax planning advice from two guys on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> right or, and I don't know would you like to apologise to the listeners yes yes I'm very sorry. <laughs> And to me for misleading me, I've, I've just I've just been oh. lapping up everything you've said. Oh no, treating it as gospel turns out. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> two weeks you could have been negatively gearing your share portfolio, and you just missed out. What a waste! Uh, well, thanks anyway, Sean, for calling that out. Uh, I really appreciate it. So if you do pick anything else up, then be sure to let us know. But hopefully, hopefully, most of this is true and factual. Um, 
we also had an email from Joe. Uh, Joe had a bunch of questions. We really appreciate that, Joe. Um, some of which we're going to cover off in some of the later episodes, I think. So uh, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil all the good stuff now. Uh, but one of the ones that stood out was um, Joe was asking, "What is the economic benefit of volunteer work, and how is it measured? Like, what would happen if we all just stopped volunteering?" And I'm kind of curious about this one because uh, I do a bit of volunteering myself. Thomas, did you know? Top bloke. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, what would happen? What, what's what's the economic benefit, and what would happen if it stopped? Uh, well, the economic benefit is there is none, is technically speaking. Well, it depends again because it's back to what our reference points are. But if we're talking about GDP, uh, volunteering is not counted in the measure of GDP. So the labor hours and what you produce as a volunteer that's not captured in our GDP measure. So GDP only captures what's in the market economy. Um, so the headline stats that you're going to see on the news and whatever that none of volunteering is just not included in any of that. So if we all stop volunteering tomorrow, initially it would have no economic impact. You wouldn't see that in the stats. Um, but obviously, you know, the Australian Someone society. Someone would have to cover the cost though. Like, I mean, I volunteered down at our, at our surf club as, as a surf lifesaver and, and other stuff down there. Mm-hmm. And if I stopped doing that, then someone would have to pay someone to do mm-hmm. these things. So that there's an, there's an impact there, isn't there? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and it's it's one of the, the the critiques about economic growth over the last however many years or whatever. There's a lot of what we're doing is taking stuff that was outside the the market economy and pulling it into the market economy. So the other big obvious one is is childcare. So um, that was happening outside the market. Mothers weren't getting paid for the work that they're doing, very valuable work that they were doing, but at what they weren't getting paid for it. Um, and so it wasn't captured in the economy. When once we started paying people to do it, even though the same the cho- same amount of children were getting the same amount of care, we've now got an increase in in what we're, we're measuring as as the economy, and we're getting a, me- a measurable increase in economic economic growth. It's actually one of the headwinds that people are talking about come, going forward. Is that over the last sort of fifty years or so, we've seen female labor participation rates increase there's been a trend increase but in most of the developed world now that seems to be peaking out so we're not going to see you know as more women join the workforce expand the productive capacity of the economy we saw the economy grow um, and we got there was a growth dividend out of out of that increased participation but that's now peaked it's not going to go down but it's peaked so we're not going to see any sort of a growth benefit from more women joining the labor force like we saw over the last 30, 40 years. Wow. There you go. Big thanks to Joe and Sean for sending us emails. Don't forget you can always you can hit us up anytime and we'll try and uh, yeah, we'll try and work through some of those questions as we progress through the series. But for now, big topic today, Thomas. Mm. Big topic that I know a lot of people want to know about and probably don't really understand, myself included. We're talking modern monetary theory. And can I just start by asking you, what is it? What is modern monetary theory? Um, okay, so it's a, it's a description of how the economy works, uh, particularly the way money works and the way money flows, uh, specifically between the government, the public sector and the private sector. And so it seeks to be a description of, of that. That's what the theory is about. So it's not something that someone came up with, like... Like you know, like normal theories where they're like, "Hmm, we should try this and see if it works." Is is it just a kind of a byproduct of a bunch of policy, or is it something that uh, is it a plan that someone had to put in place? 
No, you, you could probably think of it more like Newton's theory of gravity. So, right. oh, I know it well. Yeah, right. Gra- yeah, me and gravity. Yeah, yeah. but you know, man, like it, it, we had a had an idea of how gravity works, and and then Newton came along and said, "Well, no, actually, gravity works like this." Right. I reckon, and, yeah, and, and I can prove it. So modern modern monetary theory is kind of the same way. They're saying like, we think the economy works like this. Here's a bunch of proof to make that right. case. I mean, okay. it's, it's probably worth just re- rewinding a little bit. Like people, like soon we, as soon as we get into modern monetary theory, I can hear people going, well, ears turning off and it gets a bit dull. But right now we're in the middle of a paradigm shift in economics, in the economics discipline um, where we're, it, 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 things are changing radically and that and that has radical implications for what we're seeing particularly the way governments are operating now and so in the australian case you know here in the beginning of 2021 um we're talking about going from you know borderline surplus budget surplus for the government we're now talking about a trillion dollar deficit so moving in the space of a year or two from pretty much from a zero deficit to a trillion dollar deficit we had a budget emergency. We did. There was an emergency. It was an emergency. There was there was red flags. There was alarms going off. Mm. People were panicking. There was panic in the streets. Mm. We had to get back in the black, and we had to get back there quick, didn't we? We did. Zoid, yeah. Zoidberg was telling us we we got to get back in the black <laughs> and back on track. That's right. And back on track. Back in the black. What happened and to back that? On track. Now yeah. we're a trillion trillion dollars in debt. Yeah, off the tracks, as it turns out. <laughs> So why, I mean, I know that there's current climate, we're in COVID times and there's lots of things that we we can be worried about, but I feel like this might be something we should also be worried about. We shouldn't just... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we need to be thinking about it, but it it is interesting that, you know, that we've gone into such massive... There's two things that happen. One is we're printing money like it's going out of fashion. So that that was a sort of a big economic no-no for a generation or two. And the governments are going into massive debt. So what changed? What what changed the thinking though? So it was a big economic no-no to print money. Then something snapped one day. They're like, you know what? We should just try printing money. <laughs> <laughs> we should let's give it a go. See what happens. <laughs> and what it worked. And and they're mm. like, I mean, why is mm. it working now? And and it was so, it was so frowned on for that for that period. And then why is it okay to print money now? Let, let's let's jump back and let's look at why it was a bad thing. So, okay, um, okay. Well, can, can I rephrase the question? Do deficits matter? Ooh. Like, um, yeah, <laughs> yes, but probably not in the way that we've been conditioned to think that they matter. Is probably right. is probably where we're landing, and it's probably worth stressing. Like we're we're in the middle of a paradigm revolution. Like you a, mentioned that a, it was a shift before. Now it's shift, a revolution. Revolution. I'm not even sure what the word paradigm means. Is it, it sounds like it could be some kind of shape. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a triangle. It's, it's a dime. It's a dime with two equal sides. <laughs> um, so Karl Popper has this idea of scientific revolutions, and so we have this idea that science and knowledge advances incrementally. That we learn little things that we grow we grow the knowledge understanding and that's how knowledge advances but Karl Popper's a philosopher who says that's not really how science work works you have a you have a view you have a, a paradigm a way of thinking about things and 
everyone holds onto that view for a long time until the evidence against it becomes overwhelming and then very suddenly you have a shift right and and the the thing changes and so like so the movement from a flat earth to a round earth and that idea you know for a long time it was a flat earth and it became a heresy to say anything different but then eventually the the evidence against it became overwhelming and then suddenly it flips and then everyone's all about the round earth yeah Um, but there's this sort of phase that as that shifting that it's contested the truth is contested there's a contested paradigms there's a contest for how for the way we think about things and that's happening right now in economics and that's why it's, it's a really fascinating time right now um and particularly it has real world implications because you know we trillion dollar deficits 100 billion out of the the rba mm. in six months like that's money printing like we, we haven't done this before I mean, we were always weren't weren't we always taught that the government was managing the economy in the same way that we should be thinking about managing the household budget. Mm. If I was in the equivalent of my house of a, a trillion dollar deficit, I'm calling lots of people <laughs> <laughs> to, to try and help me get out of it. I'm calling financial advisors. I'm calling you know the banks because mm. I got some serious debts going on. Mm, no mm. one's calling the government, are they? No, everyone's just like, that's oh, fine, government. You just got heaps of cash that you're print. I get because mm. they're printing their own. Yeah, that's that's the big difference between you and the government is that the government is issuing a currency, issuing so its own currency. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, it was irresponsible of them to use the to use the household budget analogy. Then wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 not. It it wasn't a mistake. It was it was it was soundbite politics. You know, right. people, people, you could, you could sell the idea that good economic management of an entire nation, which is a very complex task, boiled down to something as simple as running a surplus mm. or running a deficit. And yeah. it's, it's, it was never true, but it was good soundbite politics and the whole debt and deficits disaster and all of that. Like mm. it was, it wasn't driven by anything other than just sort of soundbites. And right. And it's not to say that deficit. It was easy to it was easy to understand. Easy to understand, yeah. So it's a metaphor. It's an easy because people people are running their household. They know what happens mm. when you run out of money. They're very afraid of running out of money. It's a it's a mm. very it's a strong fear point that you can leverage off, and that's what politicians of all stripes have done for for decades. But it but it's just not that. It's not that it's wrong. It's just it's just much much more complex picture than that. And and there's two really interesting in, interesting differences. That, that modern monetary theory is pointing to and saying like why this um, metaphor is is just wrong, that this you don't run a nation the way you run a household. The first is that you're printing money so that you can just, if you run out of money, you can just print more money. And the, the Australian government has that capacity because it's a, it's a currency issuer. So it, it never, can never really run out of money. It, just, it can just print more money. The other, the other key insight from modern monetary theory, which I think is really interesting, is the way you run into deficit is that you spend more than you earn. So, so typically, you know, the way you go, the way it works is the money comes in, you get paid, and then you spend the money. Modern monetary theory well, says... Yeah, I spend the money, but I borrow some more money to spend money I don't have. Yeah, Let's let's leave the borrowing to the to the side for the moment. Let's add that layer well, layer in a well, minute. I'm trying, to, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to envision spending money that I haven't got without borrowing, and it yeah. doesn't make any sense. No, 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 it doesn't. But 
Um, Modern Monetary Theory says that that's in practice, that's not actually how what happens for the government. The government right. spends the money first and then takes it back out of the economy through the taxation system. Right. So the government isn't waiting for you to pay your taxes before it starts paying its public servants and spending money on infrastructure and stuff like that. It's not waiting for that money to come in before it yeah. spends it. Lucky. If, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In practice, what happens is it spends it and then takes it back out of the system through taxation. And it's a little bit chicken and egg because it's kind of drawing points in a circle, but it's sort yeah. of an important distinction because it's the 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 spending happens. The, the money is created and introduced into the system first and then taken out on the other side. And so... It's buy now, pay later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You should invest in it. <laughs> the government's on afterpay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Told you yeah. it was popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so with with a, with a, with a monetary sovereign nation, so this, is, this is a concept, monetary sovereign, monetarily sovereign. Um, so you, you have the ability, you're monetary sovereign if you have the ability to print your own money and create your own money like the Australian government does and your debts are mostly or entirely issued in your own currency. So right, that's a key, is it? That's, that's a key thing? That's a key thing, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, so if you start printing money, it starts to devalue your currency. But if right. you start to devalue your currency, you know, like looking at sort of the external trade balance and leaving, leaving the internal economy to the side for one moment, if, if it starts to devalue your currency then, and your debts are denominated in another currency, like so for example, like a lot of developing countries issue debts in American dollars. So large companies say, "Look, I'm not going to lend to you to uh, lend you money, Argentina, because I don't know that your money's worth it. But I'll lend it to you if you promise to pay back X number of US dollars at the end of it." Right. So if they start devaluing their currency, that means that their debts start escalating. They become more and more expensive to the point where they can't pay for, pay for them. And if you think, and and this is and this is this is typically what's what was the big bugbear, the big fear point around money printing is that you create this kind of debt disaster. Um, and you think about what happened in Germany in the Weimar Republic and the hyperinflation. It's like, I don't know if you heard about this, but this uh, is like... Oh, yes. No, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't have to, you don't have to tell me about the Weimar Republic. That's for sure. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, well covered ground. Like, but let, just, <laughs> oh, just I'm sick of hearing about it. To be yeah. honest, I'm, at, I'm <laughs> way more republic. This way more republic. That. Uh, but just, yeah, just humour me. For I remember a Zimbabwe. That's like more recent, isn't it? Yeah, Zimbabwe has like. Yeah, it's the same thing. But like, the the German hyperinflation was is the classic hyperinflation case, and it's sort of the thing that everyone sort of points to. And what what happened there is that they were printing they were printing money, but they owed all the money to the Allies after World War One. That was that they had to pay in gold, and so the more money right. that they printed, the more money they had to to get to buy the gold to pay the Allies back, and it spiraled out of control, and the currency became more and more worthless. Um, yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, and like it was like the stats are kind of crazy. Like in like. Uh, I don't know the years exactly, but in like 1929, you could buy a loaf of bread for 230 marks or something. And then in three years, it cost 230 trillion marks or something. <laughs> <laughs> Just got totally out of control. 
<laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, that's, that's crazy. Mm. And and this this probably wouldn't wouldn't have been such a huge problem for them if their debts weren't denominated in a different currency. Because that's that's one of the the things I've heard about modern monetary theory. I haven't heard a lot about it, but one of the things I have heard is that money printing causes inflation, creates inflation. Mm. And so you're saying it only creates inflation if your debts are denominated in another currency. As long as as long as the debts that we're printing money to pay are in Aussie dollars, then we should be good. That's the only that's the only kind of risk for to to prevent in inflation. Uh no, no, no. So let let's separate out that inflation question. That that's a different question. We're not going to go. We're not going to default on the the uh, our lenders, our overseas lenders. The Australian government is not going to go bankrupt, um, right. and be unable to pay back the pay back the people who lent to it. Okay. You know, so that's that's a whole problem. Like if you know, if we can't borrow from overseas, that creates a whole bunch of a whole a whole stories. Inflation's a sort of a different different kettle of fish, but also very important. All right. Now, well, let's talk about inflation now then. Yeah. So, so the so the old old paradigm view, you know, this which which we can still call the orthodox view because that's what still what most economists believe, mm. um, is that money printing creates inflation. So the more money goes into the system, um, the more money people have to buy stuff, it bids up the price. If everyone's got a lot more money, then they've got more money to spend on limited number of goods that bids the price of those goods up the price of those goods goes up and up everything goes up and up and up and the value of your currency which is the you know the reciprocal of that that's going down and down and down so you, your currency is becoming worth less and less um, and you get that inflation and inflation has a whole bunch of negative consequences um, we want it we want to run a certain level of inflation but we don't want to run too too run it too hot yeah so we talked about that in an, in an earlier episode Mm. Um, how the government tries, or governments across the world, don't they, try mm. to control the level of inflation yeah. through various levers. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Do we, want, we want it to be running, you know, the, the conventional thinking is around 2 to 3% a year. That's a good level yeah. of inflation. We want to hit something like that. So the, conven- the, the conventional wisdom was that, um, yeah, that, that money printing creates inflation. Now, there's, a, there's an important nuance that, that modern monetary theory adds to this story, and it's saying that it can create inflation, or it might not, but where it creates inflation, that only happens where there are constrained sectors of the economy. So right. where the economy is unable to meet the increase in demand that has come through money printing. Okay, so if there's not enough things to go around, then inflation's going to get... Like you know, whatever it is, um, cars. If there's not enough, if there's not enough cars, we can't make cars fast enough. Then mm. the price of cars is going to skyrocket. But if everyone yeah. wants tic, if everyone wants tic tacs, then we're sorted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So yeah, so you can imagine, like, if everyone, if the government suddenly goes, we've got next week, we're giving every Australian taxpayer a hundred thousand dollars to buy a car. Woohoo! Next week. Next yeah, week. it's gonna be a good week. Good week, yeah. But like, there's only so many cars available for sale right yeah. now in Australia, um, mm. and so, but everyone's got money to spend, so the price of cars is gonna is gonna explode. Yep. So that that's how money printing can create inflation. But if you've got something like yeah, tic tacs, presuming there's surplus capacity at the tic tac factory, <laughs> I'm talking about tic tacs, or like 
um, you know, cheap electronics from China or Asia where there's surplus capacity ready to come online. Um, you can increase demand without creating, you, you induce supply, you induce a supply response. And so you don't get a price response. Yeah, okay. Supply increases to match price. Uh, so in, supply increases to match demand and prices remain steady. Right. And, the, and so, so the, what, what, what modern monetary theory, the insight that modern mon monetary theory offers is saying that money printing can create inflation, but mm. only in sectors where there are capacity constraints. How do you control it though? How does the government control if, if they start printing money and injecting the money into the economy, then how do they know what, what people are going to, how the money is going to be spent or how it's going to be used in the economy and that they don't know that if it's going to, it's going to be used on cars or if it's going to be used on um, cheap electronics from somewhere that can mass produce them. So how do they know? Yeah, they don't. They don't. This, yeah, and it's, it, is, it becomes an interesting political question about right. because what we saw what we saw after the GFC and this, this is sort of where what you're talking about like with this uh, revo scientific revolution is that the evidence has been mounting against the orthodox theory for a decade or so so after mm. the GFC um, in America leading the way but also in Europe and other places interest rates went as low as they could go um, and they ran, the Fed ran out of firepower. They couldn't do anything more with interest rates to stimulate the economy. Interest mm. rates had gone to zero. So what they did then is they moved to what they called quantitative easing, easing the quantity of money in the economy, which was just printing, yeah. printing money. So that's so quantitative easing and money printing, same thing. Same thing. Yeah, yeah. We can think about quantitative that easing and modern monetary theory, different things. Different things. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah, very clear. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm learning, yeah, sort yeah. of. Um, yeah. No, that's 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 good. Yeah. So so the, so the Fed the Fed started printing money through QE, and everyone freaked out and think like, "Wow, the Fed's just printing money." There's going to be a huge inflationary shock in the pipeline. Mm. There was a, there was a exodus to gold. Ever like a everyone's yep. like, okay, "Park my money in gold because the currency's going to crash. It's going to be a disaster." Now, now Bitcoin, everyone's going to send the Bitcoin price. Yeah, yeah, makes total sense. The new gold. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I know you're a fan. <laughs> um, yeah, so so everyone was expecting inflation because the Fed was printing a huge amount of money, but it never happened. We never saw inflation in consumer prices. And so remember that when we're talking about inflation, what we're talking about is consumer prices, the consumer price index. So it's the stuff that people are buying as consumers with their consumer hat on. But it's not the stuff that they're buying as investors say. So we never saw consumer price inflation. That just never happened. But mm. that's because the consumption goods, the things that went into the basket of the CPI, they were coming from sectors of the economy that weren't constrained. They were coming from, you know, the consumption goods out of China and Asia and other places where there was excess capacity ready to come on online and meet that demand where there was an excess capacity was in asset markets and right. all that money printing created a boom in asset prices share prices in u.s market tripled between 2010 and 2019 yeah wow and what monetary theory is saying like well that's because that that sector of the economy is constrained you couldn't just create more you know 
high quality financial assets overnight. You couldn't create more property or land overnight. And so mm. you saw a huge boom. We saw this in Australia, a huge boom in uh, property prices. And you seen this a little the world over. And so this is sort of what money, modern monetary theory is trying to square these, these observed facts away, saying, yes, there was massive money printing. It didn't create consumer price inflation, but it did create asset price inflation. And so modern, modern monetary theory is um, not there really to say whether that's good or bad, but just saying that, that that's how it's working. That's what's happening. So they didn't know, they didn't, they didn't sort of know... Well, I guess no one set this up, did they? I mean, they didn't know this would happen. It was a bit of an experiment. It was kind of like, let's give this a go. Like we've run out of options. We're just going to kind of wing it now. <laughs> let's try. Let's do something. Let's get crazy up in here. Let's do something we've never done before, uh, and just see what happens. Totally winging it. Totally winging it. Yeah. <laughs> no one. No. Yeah. No one. It was. It, there was no playbooks for it, and no one knew how it was going to play out. But they had to do something. Do we know now? Are we are we more versed now? Do we sort of have an idea of how this is all going to end, or or is it is it still possible that this could all blow up? It could all end in tears. That that is huh. that is a possibility. We don't really know how it's going to play out. But you look at how relaxed people have been about the money printing that's happened since COVID, the mm. huge deficits that um, developed economies across the world are running. Everyone's really relaxed about it. You know, <laughs> everyone's pretty chill. <laughs> you know, oh like man, the, the good times are here. I feel like this is how this whole thing got started. It's like a bunch of people sitting around having a having a beer and a, <laughs> and a party in a house. Just like we should just print some money, man. Like whatever, we'll just do it. And, and it was like, yeah. It's, and then caught on, and the general public were just like, yeah, it's cool, man. <laughs> nice one. There's money, wicked. Because <laughs> um, I, well, yeah, I don't know. It just. It seems that it's it's unnervingly relaxed, I would say. Yeah. For me, I'm like, it's a bit of a, I don't know. If it's something we've never done before, like mm. if I was rolling out a new system of some kind, I'd be keeping an eye on it <laughs> pretty closely, you know. Even I might install some new, a new sprinkler system in the backyard. The first kind of week or two that I'm running the new sprinkler <laughs> system, I'm out there every day making sure it's ticked. It's starting at the 6 a.m. and it's turning itself off and it's not flooding the backyard. Like, who's who's making sure we're not flooding the backyard? I don't know. Uh, the RBA is keeping a very close eye on on all the markets and yeah, like it's not no one's just sitting back taking taking the year off, rest of the year off. Like everyone's right keeping an People eye are on watching. it. But it's but it's, it sounds. I mean, it sounds sounds too good to be true. And if Mum taught us anything, Thomas, it's that. <laughs> If, it's, if something sounds too good to be true, then it probably is. Because who loses in this, right? So, so we're printing money and no one's losing, everyone's winning. Well, yeah. I mean, there's, this is, again, this is an interesting question. So, like I think the, the equity considerations are, are, are very interesting. So, you know, the crisis response seems it saves the economy and does that by creating a huge boom in asset prices. Um, you know, so if you own assets, that's great news. You're like, <laughs> awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it creates this perverse incentive where it's like, you know what? We should have a crisis, you know, next decade. Last, right. last, last, oh, don't go down that road. Last that's, crisis was awesome. That is fodder for conspiracy I'm theorists the world over. a virus <laughs> oh, in a military lab, <laughs> lease it on the world. 
Uh, and we're going to Bill Gates is going to inject it into people <laughs> through five G cell towers. Um, okay, so is it just creating a? Is it just creating? Is there a risk? It's just creating a big bubble. Uh, I don't know. Bubble's not the right term because bubble bubble has a, has a specific meaning, and I don't know that's okay. what really what's happening. But it, right. it does seem to be, you know, exacerbating inequality. And inequality got a lot worse through the money printing era that followed the GFC. We saw that happen. It doesn't. It does look like it's, you know, the crisis response is going to have a pretty similar impact. And it's, and and I don't, I don't, I don't personally think that that's how it's been designed and engineered that way. But the policies that benefit the people who have lots of money, they're the policies that tend to get up. <laughs> You know, so yeah. if, if, you know, there might have been a, you know, during the GFC or the COVID, there might have been a voice in the room going, hey, you know, what What if we just radically redistribute wealth to all the poor people? And I just, yeah. and that might have been a radical idea that might have had some merit and it probably just wouldn't have got up. No, no, you, I think you're right. Because that's, I mean, that's another probably a big question, maybe for another time, is if we can print all this money, why are we not doing something more with it for humanity rather than boosting asset prices? Why are we not using it to um, solve world hunger or or build hospitals or fix COVID or whatever it is? I don't know. I presume we are putting a lot of money into COVID research at the moment. Um, but some of those more, you know, those more um, human goals, you know, humanitarian goals, why are we not using it for that? Ah, oh, you lefto pinko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I taught you nothing about economics. <laughs> no, but this this is uh, this is this is uh, this is this is why it is such an interesting time right now because the you know the Australian government has just come up with a trillion dollars overnight. Everyone's like, yeah. cool, whatever. RBA is like, hey, you know what? I'm going to throw another hundred billion into the market. So everyone's like, cool, go for it, RBA. That's awesome. <laughs> You guys are great, you know, and right. and we're doing that to save the economy. But it's like, and and we and we're going to come out the other side of this. And I think like all of the things we that orthodox economics has trained us to be afraid of. So inflation, mm. hyperinflation, uh, debt defaults on an international level. These things aren't going to happen. They're not going. To, they're not going to come out of what's happening right now. And then that gives us a whole new playing field. And it is a very interesting question. Like you know. It, you know, people might say, "Well, we just came up with a hundred billion for to bail out the banks. How about we do yeah. have a hundred billion for social housing, or how about we have a hundred billion for protecting the Great Barrier Reef, or or whatever it is?" And yeah. the 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 political calculus really changes. It's hard to you know we can't. It becomes much harder to run the line. We just don't have the money. You know, yeah. I don't think I don't think anyone's going to believe politicians when they cry a chicken little story about debt and deficits disasters anymore because people are like yeah i remember when it was a trillion dollar deficit like i'm not i'm not too stressed right now Uh, imagine that we got to get back in the black that's three trillion dollars (laughs) away yeah Yeah. there's no there's no back in the black from here is there that's the thing are we ever going to pay off the debt this 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 money or are we just going to go you know what it's Really got out of hand. We we just we just started printing a little bit, and it just yeah. seemed like everything was going really well. We just kept doing. It. Yeah, I mean, 
it's again again like when we think about paying this back it's it's kind of it's in that metaphor of the household and it, and it's not the right metaphor one because the government owes the money to itself largely the RBA the RBA prints money and buys government bonds that's largely what's happening that 100 billion dollars mm. it's it's all buying government bonds so that's that's what it's going so the and remember that as we talked about the RBA is an organ of the Australian government so the Australian government owes money to itself like when talking about paying it back it's like whether it just decides to pay itself back or not so it's not really the right question yeah the, the debt the debt collectors aren't coming when it's yourself like that's you right. know, you're not yeah. knocking on your own door and and demanding cash yeah, I used to work at the RBA too. There's, there's not really anyone there who's very scary. No one's breaking any ankles at the RBA. But the, the other point that the MMT makes is really interesting is that that there's sectoral balances in the economy. So there's the the there's the public and the private sector. So if the public sector is running a surplus, yeah, it, it means that you know there has to be someone on the other side of that equation. It means the private sector is running a deficit. If the public sector is running a, a deficit, it means that it's borrowing money from somewhere. So it means like private sector, you know, goes into surplus and it's saving money. And we're told that we want the private sector to be saving. And we have seen a huge boom mm. in, in household savings since COVID started. So maybe that's sort of part of the, the story as well. Well, I think, I think all the shops were shut for quite a significant period, which, <laughs> might, have, which might have helped. But yeah, I know what you mean. Um, all right. Well, Eric, this has actually been quite an interesting conversation, and I'm I'm really keen to see how all this plays out um, in the future. Nervously, anxiously awaiting the final result of modern monetary theory and what 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 it does to the economy in the long term. But the other the other thing I would say for you, just as a final note, is mm. that. For a while there, the, the the economic discipline and the way the economy is being managed is going to be running one way and most mm. people will be thinking that it's running another way. So that potentially, if you get on the right side of that, if you pick a trend there, there might be a lot of money to be made. I know you're interested in money. I do like money. Mm. That's mm. how we got started in all this. But um, So yeah, I was just thinking, like, it's something to watch very closely and I think it's something that we'll keep coming back to because I, I find it totally fascinating. Yeah, I can tell. Um, all right, Thomas, excellent to get your thoughts on modern monetary theory. Appreciate uh, appreciate that. And appreciate you out there, the listener, listening to our podcast. Um, this is just about the end of the intro series. I think we've got one more episode to come next week, so we hope you'll come back and tune in for that. Uh, don't forget, as Joe and Sean both did at the top of the show, uh, send us an email at cbe at equitymates.com. Uh, and yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got questions, uh, comments, concerns, anything you like, uh, you can also hit up the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. But for now, that's modern monetary theory and we'll see you again next week. Bye. This podcast proudly brought to you by Equitymates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.